0: You're listening to the Galatians, Spying Out Our Liberty in Christ series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. This evening we are back once again in the book of Galatians. And at this point, we will be approaching some of the most often quoted verses that we find in the book of Galatians. If you know the book very well, then you know that... These verses we're coming to, the fruits of the Spirit, are verses that we all know. We can quote them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. We know these verses, and we'll be getting there, but not tonight. (laughs) Tonight what we're going to do, and what my plan is to do, is just to lay this foundation for us as we come to these verses, because we understand that, that those are the fruit of the Spirit, That is what the fruit does in our lives, the fruit that the Spirit produces in our lives as we live for Christ, as we follow Christ, as we obey the Spirit in our lives. But we need to get this first part straight. We need to understand, first of all, what we're saved from, and second of all, what we're saved to. We understand, I think as believers, that that we are saved from the condemnation of our sin, the punishment of our sin. What Christ accomplished on the cross is that he took the wrath of God for us. He took it in our place. And so because of that, when we die, when we stand before God, we will stand righteous. We will stand robed in white clothing that's provided for us by Christ. and We will be justified. Announce that we are not guilty. That is an incredible, amazing thing. That is what Christ has saved us from. The wrath of God. But I think sometimes we get a little bit hazy when we start to talk about what Christ has saved us to. So, what is it now that as a believer, what are you supposed to do in your Christian life? How do you act? How do you be? What do you pursue? What's our goal as believers? That's where we get a little bit hazy. And I, as I said last week, what I quoted Kevin DeYoung. He said, My fear is that we have rightly celebrated and in some quarters rediscovered all that Christ has saved us from, but we are giving little thought and making little effort concerning what Christ has saved us to. Well, Paul answers the question for us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, where he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And so he saved you to liberty. He saved you to freedom. So if you said, and you thought, and hopefully you did, as you've been sitting under the book of Galatians for a while, that I know what Christ has saved us to. He saved us to freedom. You'd be right. Here's the problem. What that means for many of us is different things. We define freedom differently. In our flesh, in fact, we are unable to define exactly what it is and much less able to determine how to actually find it. We, we come up with the ideas, if I was really free, this is what I would do with my life. If I, if I was really free, I would pursue this or this or this. And we're doing that, once again, we're defining our freedom by our flesh. And we forget that it's actually our flesh that brought us into bondage in the first place. And so as soon as we start defining our freedom by our flesh, we're in big, big trouble. And so, thankfully, what the Bible does for us is it defines our freedom for us. It helps us understand what true freedom is. And remember this, this. This is something that I think our minds are going to automatically balk against. Okay? We're going to not like the idea, you, you, wait, God, you said you saved me to freedom, but then you're going to tell me what freedom looks like. That, to some of us, and I think rightfully so, that doesn't quite make sense. But let me remind you of something. The God who saved you, saved you out of love. Okay? His grace was given to you when you didn't deserve it. And so anything that you get on top of that is just, it's just bonus. It's given to you freely by God. The second thing is, you yourself, where you led yourself was guilt and condemnation. And so to take the reins back into your own hands after you've had a God who died for you, who loves you that much, and then say, okay, God, now it's my freedom. I'm going to do what I want with it. It just doesn't make sense. All we ever did for ourselves was bring us into a place where we needed condemnation. And so we, we serve a God who loves you that much. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Can you, I remind you that it's God who created the world. It's God who created you. He's the one that gave you passions and desires. He's the one that gave you this, and gave all of us, this desire to serve something greater than ourselves. And he's the one that has determined, before the foundation of the world, that, that our purpose in life would be for his glory. And so when we pursue what God calls freedom in our lives... All we're doing is pursuing what God has actually planned for our lives from the very beginning. So the creator, the one who designs the game, now tells you how to live it. This is freedom within your life. And it does make sense to to believe the God who created all things, who knows all things, and who loves you so much that he died for you, to say, Okay, God, I will trust you with what you say my freedom is. It makes more sense than trusting yourself because, listen, we deceive ourselves all the time. If we take the reins back on our freedom and we say, I'm going to do it whatever I want, we're just going to bring ourselves back under bondage. And so thankfully, we have this freedom and then we have it defined for us. And so what Paul tonight is going to do is he's going to advocate a completely new philosophy of what freedom is. It's a new mindset. It's a new posture towards freedom. And I believe if we get this, it will be truly transformational in our lives. It will be truly in the truest sense of the word, liberating. We all want liberation. But it's the only the, the freedom that God can give that is truly freedom. True liberation. So there are essentially two wrong ways to handle our freedom. We've talked a lot about this in the past. It's living by license. It's saying, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm using my freedom for selfish reasons. And it's living by law. It's, it's going back under the law and saying, okay, now I'm going to merit this freedom that I've been given. And, and just twisting and distorting the whole thing around and saying, by my good works, now I'm going to merit God's favor, God's grace. Those are two completely wrong ways. And uh, what Matt Chandler called living by law, he calls it fear-based behavior modification. It's, it's well said. If we take our freedom and then we say, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to add this law on top of my life again, and I'm going to follow this, this, this law then I put myself back under the fear that it brings. And so my motivation for living and and keeping the commandments and doing right is, once again, fear, rather than love for Christ, love for what he has done. Now, I'm not not saying that there is no such thing as the law, and I'm not saying that believers don't have some type of uh, responsibility to it. What I'm saying is, the way we keep our responsibility to the law, the way that we live godly and holy lives, is not by being afraid of what God's going to do when when we disobey. And we'll see that clearly in our text. What we do, the the greatest motivation for us to keep the law and to do right and to live godly, holy lives, is by understanding his love for us and then loving him back. All right? So, Paul is going to tell tell us what our freedom is for, what should motivate us to live in that freedom, and how God empowers us to do what we cannot do in our flesh. Has anybody ever here ever felt as though they were defeated by their sin? E- even as a believer, you felt as though you just, you just can't get under its po- from under its power. I mean, it just has a hold on you. I-, I think if you're honest, and listen, we should be really honest about this, that we've all felt this. I'd be shocked if there's a person in this room that says, no, I've never felt defeated, even as a believer by my sin. I've never felt like I was still in chains and bondage. We have. And, and I believe this passage of scripture for us, it's good news. For those of us who have felt like we could never get out of the power of our sin, this passage is good news for us. I believe God's word tonight will help you. So we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 13. We covered verses 13 to 15 last week, but they really set up for what he's going to say in verses 16 to 18. So we're going to cover verses 13 to 15 first, and then move on to verse 16 in a moment. Galatians 5, verse 13 says this. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Know this. Called unto liberty. Freedom, yes. Only, use not that liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Don't use it selfishly, but by love, serve one another. By love, serve one another. And I I just want you to to get, really get this. If, I'm married to Tara, Christians. you, You all know that. There's a few ways that I could Use our, our, live within our marriage. Okay, I could live within our marriage and try and do right things for Tara and trying to be the husband I'm supposed to be because if I don't, she's going to give me a black eye. She's going to give our kids black eyes. Okay, she's going to burn the house down. She almost did that a few weeks ago. <laughs> um, I could, I could honestly, I could be, I could try to be a good husband. And do all of those things because I'm afraid of of how she's going to act toward me if I don't do it. But this is what this verse says. By love, serve one another. It's interesting that the word serve is be in bondage to. We're talking about freedom. He says use your freedom to be in bondage to one another. And none of that makes sense until you add the by love. And when I say, well, Tara, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to try and be the husband I'm supposed to be. I'm going to try and do all the things I'm supposed to do as that husband, because I love you, because I delight in you, because you're wonderful and awesome and amazing and all the things that she is, when when I do it because I love her, there's joy in it. There's freedom in it. it. This is not something that is this hard, awful task. This is not a law that I have to keep. This is something that I get to do because of my love. And so when he says, by love, serve one another, he's saying, let your love motivate your bondage. Essentially, to one another, your service to one another. And that is what freedom actually looks like. And, and why is it so important? He says in verse 14, for all the laws is fulfilled in one word, even this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And as soon as any of us start using our liberty for an occasion to the flesh... Whether it's license, whether it's I can do whatever I want, or whether it's going back into legalism where I'm comparing myself with you and trying to be better than you and, and in this race toward God, towards God's favor. Either way, whichever way I go, I'm going to bite and devour and consume you. And you're going to try and do the same to me. That's the problem with not living in, in true Christian freedom. As soon as I serve you because I love God, all of that stops. And I rejoice in your victory, and I, when you fail and when you fall... I weep with you and I help you and I do all those things because, man, we're, we're in this together. We're trying to grow and love and serve one another. It's not a competition. I'm using my freedom for love. So this is our current situation. We've been commanded that we should love one another and we've been told that if we do that, we love our neighbor as ourselves, then we'll keep the whole law. We'll keep the whole of God's moral commands. That, that is an awesome thing. That is a, that is a massive thing. I mean, all the moral duty of man is is held up in that one thing to love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's amazing. Here's the problem: if we had a, a parade of the greatest preachers in the world come in here and and prop you up and say you need to love by love serve one another, and they just had all the eloquent, beautiful words to convince you, and they were they were uh, passionate and they were knowledgeable and they had everything that they could give you and then they left. You left this place and said, "Okay, I am going to resolve in my heart, in my strength, to go and by love serve one another." Can I tell you what's going to happen? You are absolutely going to fail every time. Now you might reform for like a week or two. You might have some better thoughts for a while, but you are not going to succeed in that task. Because do you remember what he said? He said if the whole law would be kept. Well, what's the problem? We can't keep the whole law. It doesn't matter how it's phrased. It doesn't matter if there's 100 commandments, if there's 10 commandments, if there's one commandment. It doesn't matter. Our flesh is never going to keep that. That's the problem with our flesh. And so by getting you excited and motivated to do this, we haven't done enough. I'm not saying that's not the start. I'm not saying that that's not important. But it's not enough. Because if you're leaving this place in your own flesh to do this task, you are going to fail. And so, here is Paul's revolutionary idea, external empowerment. And it's not actually Paul's idea, it's, uh, it's God's idea. And really, it's God's only plan for your growth. It's God's only plan for my growth. This is really important. Verse 16 provides for us the thesis statement for the rest of the chapter. He says, This I say then... If you want to know how to do that, in light of the fact that you've been commanded to by love serve one another, and that'll keep the whole law, this is what I tell you. This is what you need to know. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You want to know all that Paul has told you to do? All that, that, that Christ wants from you? All that you're supposed to be doing and pursuing in your Christian life? Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The word walk there is the imperfect present tense. It connotates a, a continuous action. And so walking in the spirit. I, I don't know what you think when you think about the Holy Spirit of God. I think we have all these different ideas of how this works. I think some of us think of the spirit as like the force in Star Wars. Right? Have you ever thought of like, it's like this power that we just have to tap into. And as soon as we tap into it, then we have this, this awesome power, just like Luke Skywalker, to battle evil. Can I tell you something? That's that's not the picture he's drawing here. This is a, a continual imperative. This is a command for us that we need to keep every day of our lives, and that is to walk in the Spirit. It's not something that we fall into. The fact that we're commanded to do it doesn't mean just because you're a believer, you are automatically going to do it for the rest of your life. That is something that happens on purpose every day. Walking by the Spirit. When I think of this, now I'm trying to think of how to describe it and what it would look like. And when I think of what it's like when I walked Skylar. We got Skylar about a year and a half ago. She's our dog. She's a husky. And when I walked her at first, she would never, never walk by me. Okay? So I have her on a leash because I know that she's going to constantly run away to run the opposite direction, find a squirrel, find whatever, and she's not going to walk beside me like she's supposed to. She's just going to pull the whole time. Now, when I walk with Skylar, I still have her on a leash, but she does generally walk beside me and it's kind of a more pleasant thing. Now, this is this is the thing that Paul's telling us. Paul is saying you have freedom, so you don't have a leash. Right? But you also have a the Holy Spirit of God that is in you and he's going to come beside you and he's going to direct you and you can walk with him. And if you'll every day walk with him and be sensitive to his movements, whether he's going faster or slower, this is the part of the analogy, but his, his word and his commands and what he's telling you to do and who he's telling you to love and how he's telling you to act, when we walk with him on purpose and are sensitive to, to what he's doing beside us so that we're in step with him, then we're walking by the Spirit. This is is what we focus on. This is what we live our lives by. We walk by the Spirit. And so we know, understand, the Holy Spirit's in us. He's empowering us, and he's going to guide us. And then Paul says this incredible thing, if you do that, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's a very short verse, a very brief statement, but can you imagine the power of that? Can you imagine that this struggle that all humanity has struggled with since Adam and Eve's sin, that every single one of us struggle with on a daily basis? He's saying that if you do this, if you walk by the Spirit, if you're sensitive to the Spirit, if you look to the Spirit, if He empowers you and you obey Him, then you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You're not going to do all the things that you've tried not to do for so long and failed at. All of that, that sin, all of that fleshly nature that has always bogged you down, All of a sudden, you will have power and victory over that. That's an unbelievable statement for us. For any of us trying to actually live the Christian life and please our Father, now we find that we have an empowering source that lets us win when we always lost before. It was a giant that we could never take down and now we have power over it. This is amazing. This is unbelievable. We should be excited about this. Walk by the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Paul inserts this verse here and that verse by itself is, is hard to interpret because it almost seems like there's this battle and ultimately you can't do the things that you would. What Paul is saying here is that there is a real battle, a real struggle going on. Okay, this, the Holy Spirit of God in you and, the, and your old nature, the flesh that's in you, it's a real struggle. Do you know what Paul said when he spoke about his flesh? He says, "In my flesh dwells no good thing." In Romans 7:17. 7, he said, Romans 8:8, 8, 8, "In the flesh we cannot please God." Romans 8:7, the carnal mind is at enmity with God, and over and over and over again, Christians are commanded to crucify their flesh. This flesh is a. It's a big deal. It's a bad thing. It's not to be taken lightly. And, and Paul says, even now with the flesh, with the spirit inside of you, you will have this ongoing battle. We've probably all heard the analogy of the, the chief, the Indian chief, that talking about how he had that dream and he had two dogs in his mind that were always fighting with each other. And the man said, well, which dog wins? And he said, the dog that I feed most. And and this is this ongoing battle. And if as believers we are not being really conscious to follow the Spirit, to obey the Spirit, to feed the Spirit of God by the Word of God, if we're not doing that, then the flesh is going to take over. We're going to fall back into that. There's no no wonder why Christians struggle with the same sins that unbelievers do. Because you still have the flesh. And, And if you're not using the power in you, then you're just the same flesh that you were before. Because of your flesh, you will never love your neighbor as yourself, because you love yourself too much. We always want to believe the best of ourselves, and it's sometimes unfortunate because we deceive ourselves. We want to believe that our actions, that our sin, are external things or mistakes that we've made. I lied, but I'm not a liar. You know, I I lusted, but I'm not an adulterer. I worship something else, but I'm not really an idolater. We want to believe the best of ourselves like those things just happen to us somehow. We need to get to who we are before we understand how greatly we need the Spirit of God. Our flesh, there is nothing good. Nothing at all. We are liars, we are adulterers, we are idolaters, and we are just about every other sin, if not every other sin that you can mention. That's who we are at heart. And so Paul's answer to our flesh and to what's inside of us is the Spirit of God. He says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, live by the Spirit. And verse 25, the second half of that, um, to keep in step or to walk by the Spirit, once again. Verse 18. But, if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And when he says under the law... I believe he's speaking about you're not under the curse of the law, you're not under the condemnation of the law, you're not living under the fear of the law. Instead, you're you're looking to Christ, you're loving Christ, and you're being led by his spirit. And that's where the victory is going to come. So we look at these verses, and tonight I want to focus on this one simple command. We have this one thing that is so essential for us to get. Timothy George says, Where does the believer... Acquire the resources for this kind of victorious Christian living. Modern, modern religious pedagogy offers many answers. A winsome personality, one's innate abilities, advanced degrees in theological education, special seminars on, the, on higher Christian life, social activism, spiritual psychotherapy, and others. Paul's answer is the Holy Spirit. What he's saying here is, is so important because this is actually what we see in churches. We see programs, we see conferences, we see wonderful preaching abilities, we see great personalities, we see all of this this drive and desire and this programatized version of what the Christian life is like. And sometimes we miss the absolutely essential part of all of it. And that is to be led by the Spirit. And all of those other things, they're, they're futile. I've seen... Thousands of teenagers, I've been a teenager who's gone to a conference with every right desire coming home and all of them were gone in a week. That, that's, that's what happens when we do it in our own strength. And so we have the Spirit of God. And so this is walking by the Spirit 101. First of all, this is what it requires. It requires purposeful effort. If You want to walk by the Spirit, you want to have that power that we've been speaking about, it requires purposeful effort. You don't fall into walking by the Spirit. You always fall away. Get that through your mind. We're never going to fall into this. You're always going to fall away from it. So it requires purposeful effort. But this is the thing. This is what's wonderful. Our effort is made effective or effectual by God's power. So when we do put the effort in, when we take the step of obedience, when we seek to obey and to follow the Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit that then comes beside us and empowers that step that helps us to take that step and then the next and empowers every step of the journey as we walk beside him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trebling. Here's the effort. Work it out, people. Let's, let's get to it. Let's, let's put feet to what we say we believe. Put in the effort. Very next verse. For it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You're supposed to work it out. Do your work. And God is going to work in you. So as you work, God works. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We ought not think anything good about ourselves. We ought to understand that everything good that, we, that can come in our lives is a result of God and God's spirit in us. Hebrews thirteen twenty says, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect. This is the God of peace that's doing this. He is going to make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, it's God working in you that brings all of those good things to pass. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 17, comfort your hearts and and establish you in every good word and work. That is something that God is going to do. He is going to comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. If you read the book of Romans chapter 6 to 8, you will come away with the full knowledge that there is nothing good in your flesh, that your flesh serves itself, that your flesh serves sin, that the only way for you to serve righteousness is by being led by the Spirit of God. That's it. That's what we got. Don't sit back and wait for it to hit you. Step out with the knowledge and the comfort that it is in his power that you step and in his power that you will continue. So step out and obey and and pursue the spirit of God and pursue his leading in your life. Number two, walking by the spirit is a reflection of a personal relationship with him. It's a reflection of a personal relationship with him. You cannot walk by the spirit without a personal relationship with God. It, it can't be done. You can't have a second-hand relationship with the Spirit of God. Sounds strange, because we would never think of having a second-hand relationship with anybody else. Right? I mean, how, how silly it is when you're in grade school, and it's like, can you tell this little boy that I like him? Can you tell this little girl, you know, that, like, really, we're going to pass messages between each other? That's what we do, though, right? Sometimes we, we come to church, and we expect that, that the pastor is going to feed us what we need, For the week so that we know what we're supposed to do. And we never actually go directly to the source who's living in us and empowering us personally. This is not something you just come to church to to have handed to you, put in your lap. This is something you personally pursue. God, the Holy Spirit, he is a person. A person you have relationships with. And so you need a relationship with God. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God. And the subtitle is Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. A a good book. And he said, The world is not moved by our love or actions that are of human creation, and the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. That's what happens when we live in the power of the Spirit of God. But it requires a personal relationship. It requires for you to spend time in the sword of the Spirit. You want to know God. You you claim to have this desire. I think sometimes we pick up our Bible like, okay, I'm going to see what God has commanded for me today. It's this drudgery. It shouldn't be. God loves you. He wrote this book for you. And the Spirit's going to enlighten you as you read it. And then you get to obey it. And you get to experience true freedom. I mean, this is a wonderful thing. So get into it. Do not quench the spirit, listen and obey him. Number three, walking with the spirit results in the glory of God. It results in the glory of God. God is glorified by holiness and love that his spirit produces in his children. God is not glorified by the morality that we produce in our flesh. That, I think that's a very important statement because if we get, if we get a hold of it, That even if I am able to change my ways for a period of time, whether it be a week, whether it be a month, whether I just get better in a certain area, if I am able to do that in my own strength for a period of time, my effort without the Spirit's power, without relying on the Spirit, still doesn't glorify God. All I'm doing is I'm drawing attention to myself. That is, if I was doing it for the glory of God, then I would do it God's way. I would do it through his spirit, empowered by his spirit. And so as soon as I start pursuing morality in my own strength, I, I'll, I'll, even if I find it it'll never bring glory to God, do you realize that the goal of the Christian isn't morality? The goal is the glory of God. That is our goal. And so we can't get to that goal until we do it exactly God's way. You can't get to that goal without the spirit of God. If you look through history and you look at the examples of the men and women who were just wonderful examples of godliness and holiness, what you find in the mark of their lives is that they're people who always saw themselves as sinful. They always saw themselves as weak and helpless and hopeless in themselves. This is what one man said. Uh, His name was John Bradford. And he was said by his colleagues to be the most saintly of the English reformers, and he ended every single one of his, his letters. He wrote a lot of letters. And he said, John Bradford, a hard-hearted sinner. John Wesley, on his deathbed, was supposedly heard to whisper, there's no way to the holiest but by the blood of Jesus. One other Puritan writer, in his illness, said, never did I feel so in need of the blood of Christ and never was able to make such good use of it. Just sitting on his deathbed. It is, it is those who... Realize their need for the blood of Christ and their need for the Spirit that exemplify godliness. And you think about what Paul did. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, he calls himself the least of the apostles. In Ephesians 3.8, he is the very least of all the saints. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he considered himself to be the foremost, the worst of all the saints. See, Seeing ourselves for who we are and then relying on the Spirit, that is the key to bringing glory to God. That is the key to achieving true holiness and, and, and achieving the glory of God. Um, I'll read the First Corinthians 15, verse 9. This is what Paul said, and I think this should be our heartbeat. I am the least of the apostles that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of God. And, and so for us, we would not change that. We'd change that word apostle. We'd say, I am not worthy to be called a believer. I'm not worthy to be called the son of God, the daughter of God. I am not worthy. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and by his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Say, it's not me, it's nothing about me, it's only the grace of God, and everything that I am is a result of the grace of God which is in me. That's the type of attitude, that's the type of lifestyle that truly brings glory to God. And so we, we need to get this. We need to get that we need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We need to pursue him. And when we pursue the Holy Spirit like we're supposed to, when we obey the Holy Spirit daily, when we walk by the Spirit, when we get into the Word and allow the Spirit to work in us and convict us, when we do those things, we have this power to overcome any kind of sin, this, this ability to glorify God like we'll never have in our flesh. Everything that Paul has said about the Christian life, about what we're supposed to do and how this is supposed to work, makes no sense without the Spirit of God. How will we ever keep the whole law? You will never do it, but the Holy Spirit working in you and through you can. The Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. How can that not change us? There should be a difference. I hope you leave here with the moral resolve but that's, that's not going to do it. That's not going to sustain you. What I hope you leave here more than anything else is a desire to pursue the Spirit's guidance in your life, to daily walk by the Spirit. The fact is, Christians, all of us, we struggle with sin. And we will never overcome that sin in our own strength. But God gave us his Spirit to empower victory so that we can experience victory If you're a child of God, you have been empowered by God to overcome whatever it is you're struggling with now. Live a life of service that, by love, Jesus has called you to. Do it in the Spirit, because that's the only way it can be done. It'll take purposeful effort, it'll take personal relationship, but at the end of the day, all of it will be done to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray.